Would you turn your Bible, please, to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. What a wonderful blessing all the music has been this morning. We're grateful for it and for Mrs. Sue Brown at the organ, Mrs. Donna Fogel at the ebony piano, and for the special that Mrs. Hong gave us, all the other music. We want to remember Miss Retha Clevenger in prayer. She is still in Tennessee. Her father died, and she is there with her mother and sister. So let's remember them in prayer. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we pray that the Spirit of the Lord will speak to all of our hearts this morning. We ask you to cleanse us from sin and fill us with an understanding of the glory of God. And may there be an open heart in each of us that we might hear from the Lord this morning and have our needs met and have the manna of heaven feed us till we want no more. May those who are without Christ be convicted by the Holy Spirit and drawn to Jesus. And may every believer be encouraged. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle John wrote five of the New Testament books, the Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. John was one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And it was John who was standing at the cross when the Lord said from the cross, Son, behold thy mother, giving to him the care of his earthly mother, Mary. And to Mary he said, Woman, behold thy son, pointing to John. John was the revelator. He's the one that God trusted with the secrets of that which is yet to come. Now John was an old man when he wrote 1st and 2nd, 3rd John. Tradition says he lived in Ephesus. He was sort of pastor emeritus of all the people of that area and of the churches of that area. It was near the end of his earthly ministry when he was about 95 years of age. And he wrote these piercing words in John 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, when he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the, eye, the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What a remarkable statement. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's a verse in Proverbs 14, 12 that would be wise if we compared with this verse. That scripture text says, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now you compare that. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
And when we compare that to verse 17b, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And in its original language, the word picture, he that doeth the will of God abides from eon to eon, on and on and on. How can I find the will of God for my life? What is the will of God in this matter? For many, it is like sitting down with three or four counselors and we give them our problem. We say, now, what do you think I ought to do? 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 And we have all this input and then we weigh one against the other and we see which one comes closest to what we really want to do and we accept that judgment. Many people do not really want to know the will of God so they can do it. They want to find out the will of God so they can consider whether to do it or not. I believe the scripture teaches that we will not really find the will of God until we are willing to do it. And when we're willing, God knows our heart and it's not hard to find because God is more interested in revealing his will to us than we are in finding it. He wants us to know his will. He wants us to follow his will. He wants us to do his bidding. And when we earnestly come and say, Lord, what is your plan? What is your blueprint for my life? God will reveal it. But only to those who unconditionally say, Lord, if you'll show me, I'll do it. He does not show us his will so we can consider it. And some people have had trouble finding the will of God. I know a man that's nearly 30 years old. And since he was 16, he's been wrestling with the question, am I called to preach? He's never settled it. I think the reason he's never settled is because he's never been willing. Not until he's willing to say, Lord, if that's what you want, I'm willing to do it. Here I am, I'm reporting for duty. God begins to open doors and close other doors and little by little by little, he shows us the will of God. One way he evidences the will of God in our lives is by open doors and closed doors, by placing us on someone else's heart. I recall that before I surrendered to preach, I was very, very timid and still am. And I was a member of the Walnut Street Baptist Church in Louisville. There was a lady that sang in the choir named Teresa Addington. And uh, I'd come to know her. She was a very precious Christian. And I was a young teenager. And uh, one day I looked in the auditorium and there was nobody in there. It's a large auditorium, the horseshoe balcony. So I went to the pulpit very sheepishly, sure that nobody was in there. I took a passage of scripture and began to read it just to see if I fainted with my voice echoing through that auditorium. And I finished. All of a sudden, a lady got up from back there I didn't even know was in there. She walked down the aisle and she said, I believe God is calling you to preach. That was Teresa Addington, one of the first persons that ever said that to me. I believe God revealed that to her heart. Now, God does not show us his will so we can consider whether we'll do it or not. He shows us his will when we say, Lord, I'll do it. You may have tried the world's way, sought to find your rest, but you will not find it 
until you find it in Jesus Christ. Notice in this passage, two directions, two destinies, and a divine determination. First of all, two directions. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We have two directions. One is the world's way and the other is the will of God. Now, let's notice carefully what this is saying. He says, love not the world. The word world is cosmos in the original language. Here he's not talking about the beautiful things of the world. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. This beautiful sun that we have this morning. It's a lovely day. And a few days ago, the beautiful snow we had. I enjoyed that. The vegetation. I was out at Lonnie Cook's place last summer, maybe the summer before. And he took me out to his garden and showed me some thornless blackberries. Now, when I was growing up, they didn't have any such thing as that. Every time you went to pick blackberries, you got all pricked with the thorns. But he had some thornless blackberries. That's beautiful. I like them. Had beautiful tomatoes. I like that. This scripture is not saying don't love those things. This scripture is not saying don't love the animals, the people, and so on. The word cosmos used in scripture here is a specialized word that means the present world system. The present world system that is governing in the echelons of government and of world society. He says that's the thing we're not to love. C.H. Dodd said the word cosmos refers to human society insofar as it is organized on wrong principles and characterized by base desires, false values, egotism, pagan society with its false values, its false standards, its false gods. The world has forsaken the God who made it. Let that sink in a moment. Now that's been true in every generation. That's the reason John could write in 95 AD, love not the world, the cosmos, the present world order, the present world system. It has set itself against God. In the second Psalm, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth take counsel and set themselves together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder. It has been true all the way through the years since the primitive society, when it knew God, honored him not, but began to bow before sticks and stones and worship the created being more than the creator. Now we see that in our society. In 1964, we said we don't need any absolutes. Our school kids don't need any absolutes. The Bible must not be read in the Christian school, in the schools of America. Sometime later, at our own financing, the people of Kentucky put money together to put in frame the Ten Commandments and place it on 
every classroom in Kentucky. This was declared unconstitutional. You cannot put on the walls of the school, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. There are no absolutes. Everything is situational. We have a case of situational ethics and that's what we're governed by today. And John says, the Holy Spirit writing through him says, love this not, love not the world, the present world order, the present world system. The Christian therefore is under great and dangerous temptation to compromise with the world so that the difference between the church and the world is lessened and minimized. Why? Because in our present situation, as was true when John wrote this, it was not true later, it was not true earlier. But there was a little period of time in John's later life when he was exiled from, after he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, he was delivered by Domitian. He was allowed to go back and there was a freedom from persecution for a while. That was unusual for the church. Jesus was crucified. Immediately after that, they tried to arrest the disciples. The book of Acts says, because of the persecution, the disciples were scattered abroad. They killed James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. They killed Stephen, the first Christian martyr who was a deacon. But there, and they killed the apostle Paul. But there was a little, little time slot when there was no persecution. And John was writing at that time and he said, now you're not being persecuted. And the danger is that you're going to think that the present world system is okay and you're going to compromise Christian convictions and you're going to agree with what's going on. Now later, the church began to understand what he meant because the tide of opinion turned against the church and against Christians. And for 300 years, there was severe persecution and the church had to go underground. Now in the early times of America, as is true even now, the church has an open door. There's a church on every door in America, on every corner in America. In this city, I don't know how many churches, there are probably two or 300 churches in, Amer in Bowling Green and in Warren County. I know that there are about 40 to 45 Southern Baptist churches. There are about six or eight independent Baptist churches. There are many Presbyterian churches and Methodist churches and Catholic churches. There are churches everywhere. And we have it comparatively easy, even though in our schools the Bible has been kicked out, you cannot pray there publicly. Uh, they say that at, at school graduations they cannot put on the program prayer and incidentally students. That doesn't apply to students. If you want to go across the platform getting your diploma and want to suddenly stop and say, I want to pray, you have freedom of speech. You're permitted to do that. And they can't keep you from it. The problem is the pressure, the teen pressure and the peer pressure. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he will despise one and cling to the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Westcott used to say, there cannot be a vacuum in the soul. We have to know what we believe and where we stand. There are two directions, the way of the world and the way of God. And he says, love not the way of the world. There is a way that seemeth right unto man. Dishonor your parents. Divorce them. You don't like your mother or daddy? Divorce them. They, they spanked you when you were little? Accuse them of, of child abuse. That's our present world idea. I know there's some child abuse. We're against that. But oh my soul, spanking your child is not child abuse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. He says, don't be taken in by the present world system. I read the other day that marijuana use and drug use is on the increase again. We've had a war against drugs, and we're losing it. The reason we lose it is because we have no absolutes. No teacher in a public school can stand and say the Word of God warns you against that. And there's an authority before which you will one day appear. A teacher can't say that. And so John says, love not this world system that has done away with its absolutes. And then he goes a little bit deeper and he says, uh, the world's way has to do with these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now the flesh dimension is uh, our nature when it is without God. Sins of the flesh, worldly amusements, selfish aims, all these are part of the fleshly category that he's talking about, the lust of the flesh. We make a God of uh, gluttony, eating too much. We make a God of effeminate luxury. We want all the things that money can buy. We make a God of pleasure and we are slaves to pleasure. The theater, the sports arena, so I said the Roman Empire fell partially because the Roman government furnished circuses for all the people so they could entertain themselves into utter spiritual blindness. Lustful thoughts in the mind, selfishness in the use of our possessions, entanglements with the things of the world, in such an such entanglements with the gratification of those worldly desires. We have uh, somewhere along the line forgotten if we ever knew that God puts a difference between holy things and unholy things. Kids, that's the reason in church these precious adult people that sit around you sometimes will go shh or they'll come over and sit next to you. They're trying to help you 
trying to help you learn how to behave in the house of God because they love you. See? Not because they don't like you, but because they love you. That's the reason our parents have curfews and say you need to get in by such and such an hour. Because they love you. But our present world system says, don't pay any attention to that. The lust of the eyes. The empty pride of life. That is a... You ever heard somebody just a braggart? They brag about all the good things they have and the nice car they have and the wonderful home they live in and all the wonderful things they have. And brag, 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 brag. Listen, there's a problem with a person that does that. He's stuck on empty pride. This scripture calls that the pride of life. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to get ahead in the world. Nothing wrong with getting a job and trying to make as much as you can, put in all the hours you can, and make the best you can. But when we start bragging about all the stuff we've got, and all the things we've got to the disadvantage of somebody, somebody else. This is dangerously near loving the standards of the world because that's the world, way the world behaves. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the, of the world and the world is passing away. See, God gives us a beautiful truth as to why we shouldn't love the world. He says, if you put your affection on all these things and they become your standard, you remember you're on a losing side. It's not going to endure. One day you're going to come to the end and you're going to go over to the funeral home and you're going to lie down there in that casket and you won't have any more than anybody else has. That's the end of your things. No matter what kind of house you lived in, no matter what kind of clothes you wore, no matter what kind of car you drove, no matter how much people acclaimed you, no matter how prominent you were, no matter how much pleasure you had, they're going to place you in that casket. They're going to take the casket out and file it in a cemetery. Sometimes they put a marker over it. Sometimes there's no marker at all. And all you have is what you sent on before you. And Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? By investments in people, not in banks and stocks and bonds, They'll endure for a little while and then it'll be gone. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you do that? When I was a little boy, they'd take the offering and I thought somehow they'd take the offering back there and they'd stay a long time. They never did bring those things back down here like we do. And I'd think, well, they must have sent them to heaven. And I, I thought one day, I think I'm gonna get out of church and go out there and watch them go up to heaven. I was a little boy then, I didn't know how they did it. I learned later what they do. But I won't tell you, the way to, have investments in heaven is to give through the offering plate that the gospel might be broadcast around the world. Invest your life in a person. Spend some time with that person. 
Pour your life into them. Moms and dads have a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for 15, 16, 17 years to literally pour their lives into their sons and daughters. All there is of you pouring it into their life, teaching them, training them, loving them. And then when you're gone, so much of you lives on in them. And then when we're all gone, over there, what a wonderful, wonderful investment in the glory. Where we're sitting this morning, about 220 or 30 people have sat who were members of our church, and they're now in the glory. What they could do has been done. It's all gone. They don't have any more opportunity to do anything here. Oh, how many of them poured their lives into the future of this church through gifts, through service, through dedicated living, through godliness, through prayers, through soul winning. And we go on in their train. And their investments are made for all eternity. And then John sums this all up by saying, love not the world, the things that are in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, eye, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world's passing away and the lust thereof. But, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Isn't that great? He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What is the will of God? First of all, the will of God is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Be sure you're saved. Be sure you know the Lord, that Christ Jesus lives in your heart. That's the first will of God for everyone. Secondly, be sure that you have influenced others around you to follow the Lord and to know Him. Be a soul winner. Invest your life in somebody else, going to their house, talking with them on the street, doing what Harold Dodson did down in Memphis, confronting somebody on the street. And Brother Harold, I, I agree with almost everything you said, except I think that is our responsibility, to meet people. Nothing wrong with going down there on the street of Bowling Green and talking to people about Jesus. Invest your life in them. Pour your life in them. The will of God, what is God's will? The scripture says, it is God's will that we pray. I will that men pray everywhere. You do not know the value of prayer. None of us knows. We have no idea whatsoever how powerfully God has used the prayer of a little mother here, a daddy over here, a son or a daughter, a grandmother or a grandfather. The power of prayer. I will that men pray. Paul said, lift up holy hands in prayer. We have no concept whatsoever of the value of prayer. And when we pray, God moves at the heart cry of prayer. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, I have a will of God concerning the vessels of your body, that they be sanctified unto God, holy unto Him. We live in an age when, it says, when, when society and the world say, do whatever comes naturally. If it feels good, do it. Uh, the government has literally and utterly given up on the teens today. And instead of saying, abstain until you're married, they say the best thing you can do is have safe sex. And so they hand out condoms in the public schools to kids. 
That's the world's way. That's this present world system. And God says, don't love that. Instead, follow the will of God. What is the will of God? That you keep the vessels of your body as sanctified and holy unto God. Now there you have it. What are we going to do with it? I want to tell you it is impossible to do the will of God without first receiving Christ as Savior. Impossible. There's no boy or girl over here who can say, I want to do the will of God until you first receive Jesus as your Savior. There's no one in this auditorium within the sound of my voice today who can say, I really want to do the will of God until you first say, Jesus, you come into my heart and show me God's plan and God's will, and I will do it if you'll just show me. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He was God incarnate in human flesh. He died there for you and me. And from the throne of his cross, the king of Greece cries out to a world of unbelief, O men and women of far and nigh, come, come, and I will give you rest. Three days later, he was raised from the grave. He's alive today. He wants to live inside. Will you invite him in? May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our heads bowed and eyes closed before the Lord for just a moment. What will you do with this scripture? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, not of the Father, but of the world, and the world passes away, and the lust of it. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Would you say this morning, Lord, I want to do the will of God. I want to be what God wants me to be. Our Father, we pray that somebody here in the auditorium or by radio would reach out and say, Lord, come into my heart right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please.